Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the We Watch 100 Isekai podcast. I'm Tequila Zaku, and I'm here with my co-host... Thermite Kitty. And today we're covering Tweenie Witches, or as it's also known as... Maho Shoujo Tai Arizu, which directly translates to Magical Girl Squad Arizu. So, this one's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. So, uh, like, I should immediately say off the bat, this was created by Studio 4C, who do a lot of like western uh, collaborations i think they're mostly well known right now for the berserk golden age movie trilogy but they also co-produced transformers animated and the thundercats reboots among some other like minor projects yeah and if you look at the art style for this he, he was like kicking myself what it reminded me of but yeah transformers animated is definitely the vibe it still looks a lot more uh anime than transformers animated but it definitely has the unmistakable vibe of, like, a Western co-production all over it. The other thing that really stands out to me is that the main concept and plan behind the series was done by Keita Amamiya, who is a personal favorite of mine. He is, like, the main writer-slash-creator of the Garo franchise. And whenever he does oh. art personally, it looks a lot like this. Usually it's more, like, brushstrokey in Japanese, but he really likes those, like, very thick lines, the very, you know, big, thick eyes. Like, a lot of the hallmarks in Tweenie Witches that feel very unanime definitely look like his sketches. Okay, and that's very interesting to know, because that's something I've been wondering about, which a cursory wiki search did not re reveal. Yeah, like, I wouldn't have realized myself if they didn't shout him out in the, like, opening credits and then from there i looked it up and i was like hey what did he do on tweenie witches and yeah like apparently this is mostly his brainchild and there's a lot of like stuff he likes in it like once you know it's him a lot of stuff like you know the big robots that the witches have and the way magic works and like the weird meshing of cg and uh animation in a way that really kind of like <laughs> it's a very like we love this cg even if it doesn't look good like all of that is definitely his vibe yeah, and, like, even the structure feels very, uh, Western, so to say. Like, if I was watching this on your average TV channel and it came on with the explanation and the, like, opening, I'd be like, yeah, this fits in. I'd, I'd not be surprised to see this running alongside, like, Dragon Hunters. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, especially with the format, like, uh, I know originally it was made as, like, 11-minute episodes, but it did re-air as, like, 22-minute episodes, you know, that are two episodes each. And that is very Western as a production style. Well, you know, like, be there's one big thing that differentiates this from something like, say, Spider Riders, because mm -hmm. this show was, uh, good. Ah, <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> a fundamental difference, if you, if you might say. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I can make the judgment call of it being good just yet, but at the very least, I did enjoy the 11 minutes we saw of Tween Witches more than the 20 minutes we saw of Spider Riders. Okay, I saw 20 minutes of Tween Witches. Ah, uh, now did you watch all that before I told you that it was actually two episodes in one file? Definitely. Ah, I was assuming that you were also going to, but I guess I'm just going to be constantly confused about what happened in episode two and what happened in episode one. Nah, it's fine. Just, you know, go with it. I'll be the one who's confused about stuff, but I will take your word for what's going on. Like, this is definitely a series that I feel like is going to have a lot of lore to it. So you probably have a lot yeah. more context than I do for certain things. 
Well, yeah, and also this felt like one episode. Like, these two episodes still value, you, like, the entire setup for the story. Like, I feel like we're going from here. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea where it would have cut off. Uh, I mean, halfway through. <laughs> I, it's, thanks, but that's very unhelpful. I only remember things in terms of how much plot happened, not how much time has passed. Uh, it's when Arisu's, like, floating around the caged fairies, and she's like, this, this isn't a dream? Question mark. Wait, that's where it cuts off? Yeah. That's such a, like, non-endy scene. I mean, if you want to, we can do both episodes. I can watch the second episode in the background as I do the recap. Do you trust yourself to do that? Are you powerful enough? Is your podcast level high enough? hmm. I don't trust myself to do a recap of the second episode after that, though. Let's just do the first episode, and I yeah. guess we, uh, I'll just briefly mention, try to m- mention what happens later. Yeah. So, see if I can just recall the most important events of episode two. Sure. In the description, I'll pitch this as we're recapping episode one, but with spoilers for episode two. Okay. So, is there anything else you want to highlight about the production, the studio, or anything else that we haven't mentioned already before we get into this recap? Not really. Like, I think this stands out for being very, like, weird. Like, most of the other things we have seen thus far are in a pipeline where, like, they've they made prior projects. They're going to make future projects. And they're all like, you know, like they have some that are very artistic and some that they do for the money. Whereas Studio 4C is really quite tiny for, you know, handling something as big as Berserk the Golden Age. And, you know, for all the co-productions they do, like, they don't have a lot of, like, standout hallmark things that they are known for in- individually by themselves. And, you know, K-Town Me is also much more well-known for Garo and for pimping out Garo and getting all that sweet, sweet pachinko money. So now he doesn't have to worry about making profitable Garo. And now he just kind of makes whatever he wants to. I mean, that's the respect. I feel like the, oh, we're going to make all this crap until we can make something we want to is a respectable enough model. Yeah, but like this is, you know, this is early 2000s. This is, you know, not rich baller Keita Mamiya who can do whatever he wants. This is a Keita who had to like pitch to other people the idea of making a thing that is going to be successful. And yet despite that, like there's so much weirdness and like personal energy in it that I find really compelling. Yeah, the art style, if you haven't actually looked at it, I would describe it as like adjacent to Soul Eater. Like, I can see imagine well. Soul Eater meets Winx Club. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It feels like something that, like, if you don't like Winx Club and you're mad at all your friends, you'd probably go and watch Tweeny Witches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Then, uh... Let's get into the recap. Yeah, so we start off the episode with a few, like, tapestry-style images. There's a knight with a helmet reminiscent of a bird's beak, and he's flying through the air on wings that are, like, falling apart. He's holding a woman, and they both have halos, like the old, uh, like, medieval-style halos, where it's, like, a, you know, a yellow circle behind them instead of, like, a thing floating above them. Yeah, yeah. before the, like, man, the the progression of the artistic imagery of a halo in itself is pretty interesting from going from mm. it's a light shining it's like for, because like originally a halo is just the artistic rendition of light shining from behind someone's head and yeah. then people were like ah it's a circle and i was <laughs> like ah it's a circle that floats above your head got yeah. it we see a bunch of halos in the traditional sense throughout this like this tapestry part of the episode like there's a lot of imagery of what seems to be like people shining 
It could also be like the literal sun behind them. I think it's supposed to be like a big shining. And I cannot understate, and understate enough how uh, badass this tapestry intro is. It's very cool. Yeah. So after that one, we move to a different one. We see the same sort of winged knight with an older woman and like a winged elf of sorts. Like he's got a little pointy hat. He's super tiny. He's got big angel wings. The knight here also has like completely formed wings, but the, like they're definitely not your traditional angel wings. Like they're very thin. They do not look like they'd be able to support him. Yeah, very like a uh, <laughs> very allegorical wings. Mm-hmm. They've got an enormous, like, gigantic halo thing behind them, and they're surrounded by a bunch of mythical creatures. We pan across an image of knights and witches coexisting, with you know, also with magical creatures around them. And then we zoom into a building where a group of witches and a group of knights are observing some sort of, like, astronomical device. Finally, we zoom out of that area and go into a painting with one witch and one knight, staring at each other across wasteland with an ornate demon skull hovering overhead. And the ornate demon skull now has, like, the big halo around it. Yeah, it's definitely some sort of a pseudo-apocalyptic imagery, like a demon radiating its demon energy all over everything yeah and that final image is the only one that doesn't have like you know these magic creatures all over the place it is like this big wasteland with just two humans staring at each other yeah and from there i believe we transitioned right into the actual footage of the show well what we transition into is a recap This felt bizarre as hell to me because we cut to a narrator telling us about 11-year-old Arzu and we see footage that feels like like it doesn't look like new footage. It, it definitely feels like it's recapping an episode that doesn't exist. And as far as I can tell, this footage does not appear in either of these episodes. Um, what exactly happens in that footage? Uh, okay, so like, the narrator explains that Arisu is a normal girl who likes getting lost in daydreams. She thinks school is boring. She wants to be a magician. Over that, we see footage of Arasu ch- like chasing a young version of herself, like a like maybe five or six year old version of herself, holding this big book, and they're going through a void filled with doors. I feel like this is just metaphor country, but it might be footage from later. Maybe. Because according to her, or according to the narrator, one day something flashed above Arasu and another world appeared before her eyes. And we do know in this episode how she gets isekai'd, and I don't think I would describe it as something flashing above her in another world appearing before her eyes. Have you considered that this is like the Avatar opening titles? It could be, yeah. You know, like, that's that's another thing. I feel like it had that vibe to me initially, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to see this every episode so people have a vague idea of what the fuck's happening, even if they're just tuning in randomly. Yeah. I, I just I find it really interesting because like the Avatar recap is also like a new footage, but it's also very clearly not from any episode. Like it has its own very yeah. interesting style of its own, whereas this feels like it could be from an episode and it, it, it does not align with what the narrator is saying. Like the narrator describes kind of what happens to Arzu, but what we are seeing is her like chasing herself through a void world. <laughs> And those both feel like ways that she could have been isekai'd, and I don't know if either if those are both true or not. We also get very brief flashes of her with a magic book on a rooftop, and that'll come in later. So after the recap, we cut into the OP, and the OP also, like, the OP feels like that is definitely footage from the show. 
some of it. I feel mm-hmm. like there was times when I was like, yeah, this is for the OP only. Like some of the big like f- overhead flying shots felt like very, uh, mm. oh, we're making an OP. <laughs> this is OP directing. I could see that. Because, yeah, like there's a lot of action scenes where I'd be very surprised if they were for the OP only. And then we have like some more of ours who like running through a void with doors like in that recap. They do love their voids with doors. <laughs> also, the song is just an instrumental. Like maybe later on it'll get uh, vocals. But right now it is like I can't think of another East guy we've done that has had like an instrumental OP. Yeah. Did Spider Riders have no? No, Spider Riders had an awful OP. Yeah, the rap. Right, I remember. <laughs> I wanted to forget for my. But <laughs> Calling see, all this spider is another thing that riders. Shut up! Shut up! Just shut up! <laughs> this is another thing that reminds me of a more Western style TV show. Like, yeah. they don't tend to do. Uh, well, a lot of cartoons. It's a lot more common for cartoons over here to do the purely uh, acoustic intros. Yeah, but. There are some anime that do that too, like on occasion. But yeah, they're <laughs> usually more like going for something avant-garde. Yeah, it's it's relatively rare. I do know that in most of the live-action Garo, uh, the first OP tends to be an instrumental, and then the second OP is either a new song or it is like a song using the instrumental from the first OP. You know? Like that's why I brought up the idea of maybe okay. we'll eventually get lyrics. See, then now that makes a lot more sense that that's like a staple for the director. Then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I feel like that's probably where they're going. Yeah. But yeah, like, okay. to describe well, the OP, like, there's a lot of flashy footage, lots of witches flying on brooms, there's some reaction faces. There's a lot of reaction faces. <laughs> we see our relevant cast of characters. Yeah. Like, I, I like it well enough as an OP. It makes me excited to watch the series. Yeah, this is definitely something I would have tuned as a kid and would have been like, oh, hey, what the fuck's that? That sounds pretty, seems pretty badass. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really have spoilers in it. Like, there's a lot of scenes where I'm like, what the heck is happening? But there's very few where I'm like, okay, that's going to happen to that character. Yeah, it's like unconventionality makes it hard to use as bait for predictions. Mm-hmm. So, after the OP, we zoom around a magic forest as Arasu narrates that once upon a time, she was a kid like any other, and she did believe in magic, but she also wished that magic was real because the world sucks. I mean, fair. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She wakes up in this forest and immediately assumes she's dreaming, which allows her to be very chill. Like, we don't have a lot of like, oh no, I'm in another world freaking out. And that is because, yeah. This dream mindset persists throughout a majority of the episode and, like, really explains how she's taking this in her stride. Yeah. Because she does seem kind of uh, unhinged throughout this overall. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just what she's like. Yeah. I think it's not all her thinking it's a dream. It's also just kind of her being extremely unhinged. Oh, yeah. Like, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> We'll definitely, oh yeah. So she meets a strange magical creature. It's sort of like a, it's like a little demented Totoro. It's like a little pile of dirt with a face Uh, and legs. We're going to learn that this is a fairy and it does seem like all the magical creatures we saw in the like tapestry part of the opening are also fairies. Like that is just sort of the blanket term for all these things. 
as you do, she immediately offers it a chestnuts, which is her favorite snack. <laughs> the episode which makes it very clear. She loves chestnuts and she has very long nails and she likes having long nails because it lets her open up chestnuts more easily. I mean, guilty on both accounts. I have long nails because I do carry around a constant supply of snacks in my mm-hmm. coat pockets, which I use my long nails to open. Now, are you Arizu? Hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm not quite snapped enough for that yet, but I do occasionally wish for magic to exist so we can magic the world a little less garbage. Okay, fair enough. So she gives the fairy a chestnut and just kind of op- openly out loud says, oh man, I sure hope witches are real. As she says that, <laughs> witches announce that apprentice witches need to hand over any fairies they've captured immediately, and they dive bomb her. We hard cut to two apprentice witches who have already heard that Arasu was captured. Uh, the the older witches like take the fairy from her, and like they're clearly mistreating it. We also see at the large uh, the witches have these big ass robots that like they kind of look like Gera from Invader Zim. They like very much like. You know, like uh, tin can sort of robots. They're not like mm-hmm. very sophisticated. They're kind of like magical and rickety with big like jack-o'-lantern mouths. Yeah, like the witches have a lot of technology, but all the technology is very like 1920s. It's all or like it's all like very clunky technology that feels like it's, it's barely all hanging on. Very Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is a good way to put it. Yeah, uh, Sheila. Uh-huh. Uh, of the two apprentice witches, you got one who is a big old asshole named Sheila, and she is the um, the discipline officer. And you've got Ava, who is much more chill. Yeah, we've got a resident tool and a resident dumbass. Mm-hmm. So Sheila starts interrogating Arasu, and it's it's very clear from the dialogue that she thinks that Arasu is a witch from a different area. Whereas Arasu doesn't really know what's going on. So she doesn't really, she doesn't need to go into the, hey, I'm from a different world. She's kind of she's more is confused. Like, she doesn't understand all the yeah. jargon. Yeah, she's very much getting bombarded with words and sitting there like, slow down. Hi, my name's Arasu. Would you like a chestnut? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do like her vibe throughout this whole bit of like just being very not out of it, but just being very confused as to why the world is like this. Like, she comes into this with a very clear idea of what she thinks witches are supposed to be like. And when encountering real witches, her response isn't, this is bad, or I'm sad that this is the way witches are. She kind of just says, no, you're not acting like witches. I know you are witches, but you're not witches. This is the way witches are supposed to be. (laughs) Me, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's uh, definitely the type that's able to, like, delude herself very well about how the world works. She has a very specific idea of what reality is supposed to be like. And, yeah, she's the type of person to act upon what she thinks the world should be rather than what she sees it is. Hmm. Ah, <sighs> we... The interrogation is not over. Like, we do kind of go non-linearly out of time for a moment here. So we cut to Sheila using a diving helmet to talk to her superior witch, I guess. And, and she says that we, they finally captured a Mina fairy, which is the last of the 100 fairy species that they need. We <laughs> see the fairy collection and like the, the fairies have so many. Catch them all. 
yeah, they got so many weird designs. They're they're weirder and more of like uncanny than Pokemon, but they definitely have a sort of Pokemon-y energy to them. Yes, a lot of them. Some of them are just kind of generic little goblins and stuff. They're mm-hmm. all just they're all the types of thing you would doodle at the borders of your schoolwork. Yeah. And they're all being abused on some level. Like, they're either in cages or the robots are harassing them. Like, it's not a good time for these areas. It's a horrible, grimy robot place. It's all pipes and wires and metal walls. It's very depressing. Not a good vibe at all. Yeah. You don't want these fairies to be here. Yeah, it's less Disneyland and more like backstage Disneyland. All kids in cages and horrible human <laughs> rights abuses. Uh, so we wipe transition back in time to Arzu at home in the human world, I suppose, where she's eating chestnuts and watching a generic magical girl show. Her, her mom just kind of dumps a burnt fried egg onto her plates and changes the channel, where a news program is talking about destroyed statues on Easter Islands. Arzu immediately dunks on her mom because her dad left her. And no one likes her. <laughs> and her mom really takes in her stride. They yeah. are. Ah, uh, like, no. I mean, that's probably good mom. RSO seems to have her own uh, issues with social interactions, whatever those may be. It's good that she can deal with that. Yeah. Like, this is a really good scene for characterizing both Arisu and her mom. Because her mom's, like, kind of a sad sack. She's not very good at a lot, but at the same time, I don't, like, she's not a bad person. She's just, you know, struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And then then Arusu is comfortable enough to dunk on her mom like this, but then she also casually says, like, hey, you know, someday I'll bring him back using magic. She's definitely a child. Like, more so than a lot of other... Uh, more so than a lot of other protagonists we see, she actually acts like, you know, a child. She does. Not just like a mini teenager. Yeah, like she is a tween. She has the rebellion, you know, the rebellion is, sorry, rebellious. (laughs) Boy, I really messed up that one word. But yeah, like she feels very rebellious while at the same time, uh, like she still has that inner strangeness that a lot of kids have. Like, I don't look at her and think she's mentally ill or anything. I just think, like, she's got a very, you know, imaginative inner world. She also seems to have still a little trouble uh, relating to the feelings of other people. Yeah, like, this feels like something... I don't think I'd ever say that specifically to my mom, but I can definitely see myself in the situation where I say something, I think it's really casual and kind of cool, and then ten years later I go like, oh my god, why did I say that to my mom? What is wrong with me? (laughs) it's the type of joke you hear in your head before thinking "Mm, let's not (laughs) we cut to the world's sweatiest teacher lecturing his class on how life isn't fair and it's all survival of the fittest and they gotta try because all he ever gives them are these big old red f's (laughs) some boys start roasting the teacher so arasu dips her hands in i think red ink and then slaps them across the face but she's not like, she's not defending the teacher because we see later on she also slapped the teacher with a red hand. So I think she just wanted to beat up everyone. She's just kind of going, hey, do you want to see a magic trick? And then she slaps people with pains. Yeah. <laughs> Which 
I, uh, I don't. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's really showing her willingness to go against the established <laughs> rules of where she, wherever she is. She's a rebel in every sense of the word. I've never felt more like in, you know, in between two worlds as a mid 20s guy than looking at the scene and like being happy for Arasu because this is, you know, like it's fun. It's, you know, it's something where like, yeah, I'm glad that she can do this. But at the same time, I do feel for the teacher. <laughs> like he's so obviously coded to be someone you're not supposed to like. But I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm like, yeah, this does suck that his class doesn't respect him and they're all failing their classes and they won't take this seriously. <laughs> I get it now. Well, yeah, I think I relate more like to the classmates who are like, why the fuck did you slap us in the face with paint? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <sighs> So, like, uh, uh, yeah, she's definitely she, she kind of feels like a rebel without a cause. Mm. She's smart enough to figure out the world sucks, but not quite smart enough to figure out why. Yeah, that's a good way. Of so maybe it. that can be a good. So maybe that can be a good arc for her, like figuring out more like specifically like a thing of. You know, it's not just the lack of magic that makes the world suck. Even with magic, it's the people that suck. Yeah, like, I do feel like she has retreated from reality. Huh? Like, I, yeah. I do think she uses magic as a concept in her life as a crutch in order to say, like, you know, this is fine because I have magic or I'm going to get magic and then it'll all be good. I don't have to worry about this right now. I do think part of the series is going to be her, like, both confronting that even with magic, you could still be awful. And then also, like, I, I don't think this is going to be a series where she goes back to her life and she has magic. I think it's got to be one where she grows as a person, then she goes back and she doesn't have magic, but she's still a witch on the inside. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be what happens. And, yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a relatively, like... Uh, positive spirited series. I don't know what Garrow's like, but I don't feel like this is going to be like the thing where like we're going to go, oh, these people have to go. I think this is very much going to be like a everyone at the end sees that they were wrong about whatever they were wrong about and just kind of goes on to make things better together. I'd characterize Garo's, uh, like, Garo as a series as being a lot, like, it, it is very hopeful, but there is a lot of death in it. There's a lot of like, some people are going to die. There's some things you cannot take back. There's some things that you just can't fix. But like overall, it's going to be good or, you know, things are going to get better. Yeah. And I mean, like, I know I'm such a miserable sad sack, but I don't actually mind positivity. I think that's nice. Same. Especially in a show aimed at a younger audience. It, this is like, I don't know if it's more explicitly aimed at a younger audience, but it's something I feel more comfortable with a child watching, I suppose. Yeah, like from this first episode, like honestly, more so than a lot of the other like more mainstream series we've watched. Like there's nothing bad in this episode. There's nothing where I'd be like, oh, no, I'm really upset that my kid watched this. I guess there's the danger of yeah. them like watching our student and going, OK, I guess I'll go to school and slap my teacher with red paints. But even then, like, I feel yeah, like... Well, yeah, well, I think that much risk you'll always have to take. Yeah. I mean, that's the same as saying, like, oh, I don't want my kid to watch a series where the character has a sword, because what if he cuts up all of his friends? Yeah, like, right, like... You gotta have some faith in your kid. You can't... You, like, you shouldn't underestimate uh, how much influence media has on children as much as you shouldn't overestimate it. It's usually not just the obvious thing of, like... 
my child will practice to try to practice black magic. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know. Yeah. Let's so. think about the broader lessons that I incorporated in something like this. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, mm-hmm. no, no. Let's let's move on with summary. Gotta move on. So she's slapping everyone with red ink, and she has a flash of a skull-faced man. It causes her to freeze up, and so the boys use this opening to steal a book she's kept on her, like, all this time. It is a very clearly, like, magic book just from the outside, and she freaks out, so she chases them into the part of the school that, that's under construction. Like, she, it's on the roof, but it's also very under construction. There's a whole area you can kind of, like, walk into, and, like, it is guarded off, but they, you know, they walk past all the red tape and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she chases them up to, like, the balcony and accidentally falls off the roof while she's trying to get her book back. And the boys do, like, freak out at this. Like, as she is reaching over at the book, they are telling her, like, no, 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 you gotta stop. You're actually gonna fall off. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh... Mm-hmm. You know, Fomite, you don't need to make such long pauses after mm-hmm. everything. I'll chime in if I have something to say. No, I need to pull the saying out of you. <laughs> no, please. I'm just going to say, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. How very interesting. It's going to sound awkward as fuck. Just move on. Sure. I'm, I'm fast enough. I can chime in. Please. <laughs> All right. So she disappears midair and we hear the boys specifically note that she vanished. So like, I'm pretty sure we're not doing the the classic, you know, person dies in their world and they go to another world and that's the afterlife. Like her body does vanish in midair. She is going to so- another world. <laughs> You say classic, but we've had so little of that. You know, so you're right. So far in our journey. Yeah. Like, I, I do need to stop thinking about the classics of Iskai as, you know, things that I personally think of as classics, because I think our project here is de- defining what are the classic tropes of Isekai. Yeah, because uh, I believe we had a conversation of this entirely off stream, but, mm-hmm. you know, like the proto Isekai, as you imagine, uh, you, when you imagine the what is a proto isekai, what is everything I think of, you're imagining a show that doesn't exist. Right. There isn't any show that's exactly like this, just as there isn't any of the proto mecha or proto magical girl show that you imagine. Everything is always a little bit more complicated than you think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even tropes that you think are really prevalent are probably just tropes that are in one or two really popular shows. Yeah. Good point, good point. So, we return to Sheila and Ava. Uh, Sheila doesn't believe her in the slightest, and Arzu's like, listen, witches should be happier, and you should use your magic to make others happy. This is when we see uh, Sheila, the uh, officer, go off to make her report using that diving helmet. So, while that's happening, we stick with Arzu and Ava, and Arzu gives Ava chestnuts. And Ava freaks out and establishes that there are no edible nuts in this world. Like, this is the first time she's ever having a nut. Uh, so, yeah. It's, like, you know, she, it's definitely depicted as a pretty bleak world. It's not no candy, no nothing. I'm really, all, all getting, import, getting employed by the fascist government from the time that you're 12. No fun. <laughs> I'm really, really excited to see more. Like, even though I did not watch the second episode, like, I do want to. There's so much just implied about what the world is like, and we aren't doing, like, none of this feels like I can just kind of imagine what it has to be like. 
there's so many little weird details that make me think like this is definitely one where I'm gonna have to actually like watch it and maybe take notes to remember what what's going on everywhere. And at the same time, I think it's going to be a very simple show to follow because yeah. it's going to be it's like 50 episodes, so presumably any lore that we do get is very spaced out. Yeah. So uh, Ava lets her out because she had the chestnuts and she lets Arasu try to use a broom to fly. This is when Sheila comes back from making a report and is like, what are you doing? You let the prisoner out? You're letting her fly? Which, I mean, like, (laughs) you're really asking a couple of like, what, 12 to 14 year olds to be your employees and guard prisoners. What do you expect? Yeah. Like, you know, it's fucking children. What are you going to do? So, Ava and Sheila start arguing about, you know, whether this is okay as Arzu loses control of the broom and starts, like, blasting around. Uh, they mention that, like, our. Like, Ava believes that uh, that Arasu is actually a witch. Or, like, no, that she is actually a human and that she's maybe from another world. And Sheila reveals that, like, she can't be a witch, or, like, she can't be a human because she can fly. And witches aren't humans. This also right. big Doro Hidoro energy. Yeah. Like, this also maybe implies that they know about the other worlds. Like, I, I don't think this is a, like, she's going into an ecosystem that is, you know, completely separate from her worlds. Yeah. And as far as um, we can see in these episodes, this world appears to be completely gender segregated. Yeah. Like, we only see, you know, female ca- characters in this world. Yeah. And we saw the male code at nights in the opening so it's possible that they are referring to them when they talk about humans oh maybe although that's not entirely clear of course at this stage of development yeah of course as the actual witches are arguing about what's going on ours is like no listen everyone can use magic and also this is a dream and they tell her this isn't a dream and she's like oh shit this no. isn't a dream which just because somebody in a dream tells you that doesn't mean you should trust them yeah sincerely people in my dreams uh as like we end off the episode with arasu floating amongst a bunch of caged uh fairies and we also get a cut or two to arasu's mom doing the dishes and she's reacting to something like the way they cut it it makes it seem like she's reacting to the girls arguing but that can't be the case (laughs) No, I don't think it is either. Mm-hmm. So should I give you the real quick rundown on what happens in episode two? Yes, please. Okay. So uh, she rampages around the complex, breaks out all the uh, fairies. Mm-hmm. Everyone fucking panics. A bunch the high council of witches gets super mad. She gets yelled at a lot by the other two witches, but then they're like running away to like... Ah, we gotta catch these. We gotta you screwed up. The tower transforms into like doesn't transform into any specific thing. It just kind of mm-hmm. transforms. Okay. <laughs> just kind of folds open more. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, huh, what's that all about? <laughs> and um hmm. Okay. They go, they fly out on the brooms, and they're like, oh, we gotta catch these things again and Arisu's like, why though? And they're like, wait a minute, did you release those fairies intentionally and it wasn't just an accident? And she's like, 
Ah, you got me. <laughs> and then they go in front of the big council of witches, and she's like, the big head witch is like, ah, oh, how curious, a human. There's a bunch of, like, politicizing between, like, some important witches whose names I can't remember. It's all, like, set sure. up for, like, higher political intrigue. And there, she's, like, speaking up to the big head witch, and everyone's like, oh, preposterous. How could a mere, like, child speak up to a head witch? <laughs> She's like, oh, but don't you see that these fairies are meant to be free? And the head was like, okay, but go catch them for us because of reasons. And you need to make up for this. And it's going to be a mission. And then they're all, and also we're going to like throw these other two kids in cages if you don't. And she's like, ah, oh, this sucks. But I guess I will. <laughs> and then I believe that's probably the setup. They're going to go catch up all the catch all the hundred fairies. So okay, very Pokemon-y. Friends don't get thrown in prison. <laughs> but okay, I think that's yep. actually a really cool and setup for the series. Yeah, and I think that's why I was so confused because, like, yeah, that that feels like it's the you know this is the conclusion of the setup. Mm-hmm. This is concluded setting up all the important characters. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Like, I can see how these would be two episodes, but the second episode definitely feels a lot more impactful. Like, it feels like that's actually something that would make me go like, okay, now I get what the series is about. Now I want to actually watch the series. Yeah. So that's that's what it's actually about. So, Fermite, thoughts? Hmm. When I was a kid, I definitely didn't watch every single animated thing on television, I think my my benchmark was usually like I would watch one or two episodes and then figure out like is this different enough from everything else I'm watching? <laughs> like I would I watched SpongeBob, but I didn't watch a lot of the bad SpongeBob clones that were just like, "Hey, here's this other inanimate object that's wacky." <laughs> Cuz it's like, well, I already have SpongeBob. I already have the good one of this. But I did watch like, you know, both Pokémon and Digimon and a lot of the other like you know collector style series because they all had like something that was sufficiently different like pokemon and digimon are two extremely different shows oh uh, and i feel like Tweety witches also so has that energy i sucked so much as a child compared to you oh well first off i was all like this is a show for girls with a lot of stuff mainly mm. just because they had a lot of female characters which is a frustrating in its own right yeah thinking about it now but also i was like if i'm not watching it currently it must suck ass oh no mentally dunking on everything i wasn't currently watching oh no it must suck yeah i was the worst ah oh. and i feel like i liked most stuff i was watching i had okay. a questionable taste at the time the only cartoon i really despised was the mr bean cartoon Oh boy, the Mr. Bean cartoon is just so bad, much. and it's so not funny. Mm-hmm. It, it was on so often too during all the good times, like during all the times I couldn't watch. We're running the cool shows that I couldn't watch because they were running at fucking six a.m. on Sundays, mm-hmm. and then during the fucking daytime, it's all goddamn Mr. Bean reruns. I still don't understand how TV scheduling worked when I was a kid. Because nowadays, like, I'm you know old enough that I can look at, like, a theory and stuff. I can read, like, you know, why people make the decisions they do. I understand why Cartoon Network for a while just did Teen Titans Go for 24 hours every single day. Like, sure, fine. But I don't understand why, back in the day, all the good kids' shows were just, like, not on when I could watch them. 
And when I was when I was available, it was all like SpongeBob and some anime and then a bunch of adult shows. <laughs> yeah, right. Like like the time where you can watch chill TV shows as kids, the prime time is like four o'clock in the middle of the day. Yeah. Cause you don't have to go to bed yet and you're done with your schoolwork. Where the for a while Naruto ran in that time slot and it was like really badass to come back from school and watch Naruto. Mm-hmm. Well, as a kid it was anyway. And I occasionally get to watch like Family Guy and Detective Conan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then they all moved that and nothing good was running on TV anymore. And I just switched yeah. to watching shows on YouTube. Yeah, like, the kids' channel here ran children's stuff from, like, 2 p.m. to, I think, 5 p.m. And I would get off school at 3.30. So I would definitely miss half the block every single time. And then I would be there, and I'd I'd watch the stuff that was on, and then, like, right at 5, it would then hard transition to, like, soap operas or something. It was like, well, I, I, I'm still here. I still want to watch, you know, fun shows that are good. Why did you hard transition to a bunch of crap no one wants to watch? (laughs) And like every channel did that simultaneously. So it wasn't even like, okay, it's five. Now the channel I really like is, you know, showing soap operas. Now I'll switch over to this other channel that has kids shows. No, they all simultaneously at five were like, okay, that's enough for kids shows. (laughs) But yeah, that's all to say that I feel like Tweenie Witches would be not at the 5 p.m. slot. I feel like it would definitely be like, in a slightly older slot it would be the show where like i would look around go like oh no i don't want my parents to catch me watching tweeny witches it's too dark (laughs) yeah like nothing about it is that's you know oppressively dark or anything it's not a downbeat show it's just like with the tone of it it feels like it's meant for like 14 year olds and i'm 12 Yeah, right. If you and you always want to watch the show that's like at least one age demographic above you because mm-hmm. it's so much cooler. Again, whoops! Looks like we slipped into a parallel world line there for a second where we already recorded the rest of the podcast. How embarrassing! Well, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I may have goofed up our isekai machine. <laughs> There may have been, in fact, a fucky wucky. <laughs> in isekai terms, we may have fucked up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we may have taken a truck and ran over our episode files and they got isekai to another world. <laughs> so now <laughs> we need replacement episode files. <sighs> All right, so... <laughs> Let's hope this is also another what world where it's even better. What I was going to say is, yeah, what I was going to say is, when I was a kid, I used to fucking suck. When mm-hmm. I watched TV, it was very much all the type of like, ah, uh, I'm not going to watch this. This has girls in it. Ah, uh, yeah. And I would relentlessly dunk on shows without ever watching them because I wasn't watching them, so they couldn't possibly be good. Uh, you know, I think we have to say it. Fuck toxic masculinity. Right, I forgot that we talked about that. Yes, but yes, indeed, fuck toxic masculinity. It hurts everyone. It's like, it sucks. No one likes being put in tiny little boxes that (sighs) shape you to be a fucking square. Like, simultaneously, I 
am like I like the series a lot and I kind of wish I'd been able to watch it as a kid but at the same time I know it would have been locked under the same you know box that things like Tokyo Mew Mew and Sailor Moon and like you know which W-I-T-C-H were all locked under you know the whole like oh this is for girls therefore if you're a boy you don't get to watch it and if anyone you know if you say that you watch it people are going to make fun of you or your parents are going to say hey like don't worry it's not weird that you're watching this girl show <laughs> while implicitly by saying that it feels weird and it makes you not want to do it anymore yeah, yeah that's very true it's all the little things that try to force you into a role that's fundamentally uncomfortable yeah fuck it i i hope that this generation is more free in that regard i know there's still problems but i hope it's better for them at least yeah you know I think it also, I think a lot of that depends on having, being able to generate a zeitgeist of people that think it's weird in the first place to be forced into these roles. I think it takes a lot of work on a larger societal scale. And a big part of that is the type of shows that our children will watch. Yeah, like in the 2010s, there were definitely a lot more cartoons out that were more focused on like, hey, there are girls in this and there are guys in this and we're going to do stuff that is unabashedly girly or unabashedly, you know, like boy focused and girl focused and anything focused. (sighs) Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's really important to show that you're not forced to be like a muscular fighty guy or like a pretty make-up-y girl and those are the only correct ways to be. Yeah. Or if you're anything or the idea that even if you are one of those, not one of those, you'll eventually grow into one inevitably. That I like, think used to terrify the, me. Yeah, like the idea that everything that is you is just an eccentricity of childhood, which mm-hmm. it's enough an entire Japan problem. I kind of want to tackle more in the the things of the reincarnation isekai mm. but i think japan even more so than say america and germany has a problem with like this idea that oh yeah you're allowed to le- live until 25 and after that you like neatly slot into as a cog into a gear and just kind of ride out the rest of your life yeah and if you've not done anything until then Fuck you. No more chances. That's where you that's allowed to be the fun part of your life. Nothing else. And even 25 is, you know, like that's actually pretty optimistic. (laughs) There's a lot of, you know, stuff in Japan that is focused specifically at middle school nostalgia because the idea is, well, when you when you start studying to go into high school, that is when your childhood ends and that is when you start to become a cog. So really, the last time you're a human being is when you're in middle school. Wasn't that great? (laughs) Yeah, and this idea that, like, there's no possible way I could start something new with my life after the age of 16, so I might as well die, and the only way I can imagine starting over my life at the age of, like, 22 is getting run over by a car and getting reincarnated in another world. That's fucked. That's that's, fucked. And it's not baseless because, again, like uh, employers in Japan will not hire people in their 30s who don't have a long ass resume explaining where they were for the last 10 years. 
Like there is this very real cultural feeling of, yeah, if I don't do anything when I'm young, then I actually don't have a future. No one is legitimately going to hire me. And then if you are a hirer, you'll also have that mindset. You will like, you know, read the resume of someone who hasn't done anything for 10 years because, you know, they thought their life was over and they're sorting themselves out. And then you'll go, well, I could hire you or I could hire someone who looks like the ideal person I would hire and I'm going to choose them. Yeah. No, it's and I think it's just so I think one of the few things I've actually seen go against it recently was a uh, Yakuza 7, mm-hmm. which is an actual story about someone trying to do something with their life regardless of having already lived a lot of it. Okay. Which you know, it's about a 40-year-old deciding to on the spot after not really doing anything with his life become a hero from now on. And that's great. That's awesome some kind of message that we need to see more of yeah it's putting a lot of undue pressure on kids to say well you got 16 years to figure out what you want to do before we send you to the adult slave mines yeah i mean i'm personally in that situation of you know when i was young people said hey what do you want to do and i didn't know so i made a choice and now i've been like propelled towards this inevitable goal and i have failed to meet it and now i feel really bad because i don't know what else i want to do apart from this thing i arbitrarily decided yeah and then the entirety of society will dunk on you for not being good at the quote-unquote correct path in life even if you may be perfectly well suited to another option. Right. And now coming back to the terms of, uh, terms of children's media, especially children's media is really important in shaping children's expectations of what the future is like and what they should expect from like growing up. Since that's coming of age is such a big theme, it's important that at least somewhat well delivers the idea that you can eventually be who you want to be or you know well that's the other risky part Mm -hmm. maybe you can't in the society you live in which i think goes for probably most of us yeah i mean that's also why you just need to have diverse children's media because then you can have a mix like then everyone can tell the story they want to tell and you don't have to worry about it being a like well i really want to tell the story about someone who goes against society or you know i want to tell a story about someone who is completely in line with society because you know there's other people making stuff that will balance out what you're saying yeah and i think that diversity is a good point because ultimately uh you can't force one kind of happiness on people that's not gonna work never going to get to a point where everyone wants the same thing yeah like i am definitely not the kind of kid that rsu was like and i don't know if that means that tweenie witches is for the kid i was or if it wasn't but like either way i know someone out there definitely watched the show and went oh wow that's me and then they continued to watch it and hopefully i you know by the end hopefully it the series taught them something that made them a better person or something that they can carry with them yeah, and that in itself has a lot of value. Uh, All right, I think we need to step down from our big talk about society in the world and children's media. Yeah, so um, you want to do ratings? <laughs> Let us move from the big stuff that actually means a lot to our rating system, which by definition, it's not that it doesn't mean anything, but what it means is pretty wacky and wild and varied. 
Yeah, I would go one step further and say it doesn't mean anything. We now have fucking aggregate mm. scores, which also don't mean anything. <laughs> it turns out that getting an aggregate from three different types of scores that each mean three very different sorts of things does not really get you an accurate picture of what the series is supposed to be. Like, <laughs> if you were to total all six of these, you know, uh, we have the spicy, the nicey, and the isekaisi. And each of us it delivers a ranking for that. So we can have a total from 1 to 10 of 60. And something that hits a 60 here would be the spiciest, the series with the most flavor, the most, not necessarily good or bad flavor, just flavor. But it is also the nicest series. It is the best. It is the thing that we all just, we both like a lot. And it also is the absolute pinnacle of what an isekai is. And I guess in itself that would mean that the series that is like the max rating has some value because it tells you it's the most isekai. But any rating yeah. that's like 10 or 20 off, you have no idea whether that's uh, because it's bad or because <laughs> it's not an isekai. Yeah. Like or because could... it's not very spicy. Like there could definitely be a series that we really, really like and we think it's very spicy, but it isn't an isekai. And yet it still beats out a lot of other isekai in the total score. Though, like, I, I think there's a little value to the absolute highest and the absolute lowest, because the lowest series would also be something that is extremely bland, not good. We don't like it. It's not also just categorically not an isekai. <laughs> But I feel like the absolute lowest is valueless, right? Because with podcast about isekai, knowing what's the worst, not an isekai, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, that's just us making a mistake with the series. <laughs> and then also having not ha having a terrible time. Yeah. So the lowest score is also worthless. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, we're not arguing against anyone here. We both agreed that the score is worthless. Why were we even talking about it for that long? <laughs> hey, Thermite, yeah. how uh, spicy is the series? Huh. So, I would describe the spice of the series as being good and also like striking because it is something i usually don't taste like as much as i said in our discussion about how like i've watched a lot, lot of other stuff by kitama mia most of what i've seen has been things that are aimed at adults but then they are very like hopeful they have darkness to them but they're also like fundamentally about like learning a lesson or getting over something i haven't seen anything he's done that has been genuinely explicitly for kids and I think, like, as a kid's show that has this very, like, dark aesthetic, but not edgy at all aesthetic, and that has, like, you know, things that it could say that I don't know if it will, but it feels like, you know, it's definitely going to be a maybe you shouldn't lock animals in cages. Maybe you should, you know, like, maybe. <sighs> like, there's maybe a lot that. lock children in cages. <laughs> maybe 12 year olds shouldn't keep prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> like oh man yeah maybe you shouldn't have horrible oppressive governments yeah i'm going to give it a five where a five is like not medium spice there is spice there there is flavor to this that i find quite good it is yeah, just it's not like absurdly distinctive yeah like because you know a zero would be like that's the problem when you have a mediocrity rating yeah <laughs> zero is the most mediocre mm -hmm. 
Is this mediocre so, or is it hyper ogre? Uh, I'm giving this a six because it's uh, it's pretty different from everything that we've covered so far, but okay. also pretty similar to a lot of shows I've watched as a kid. And I think this is meets, meets a good middle ground between still acknowledging the specialness of this while also embracing the fact that, yeah, but I've seen stuff like this. Hmm. All right. So, Zaku, how nicey would you say the series is? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I wonder if uh, my good co-host, Fermite, can answer that question. Hmm. So, <laughs> I think it's... I'm putting it in the Dark Valley that is a 6 rating to me, in that... If it's like 7 to 10, that's a series I'm probably going to actually pick up. Whereas a, you know, 5 and under is something where I'm probably not going to. A 6 is the dark area of, I'm going to say I'm going to watch more, but then I know I'm not. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's nothing here that I dislike. I do think it is nice. It is something where if I found someone who really likes this kind of aesthetic, I would say, hey, you should check out Tweeny Witches. I've only watched the first two episodes, but like from those, I I thought it was pretty cool. I think you should check them out as well and see if you like it. So a six for me. Yeah, I would agree with a six. For me, a six more means like it's good enough for me to consider it like, yeah, keep this on. If it was running a TV as a kid and I was sucked less, I watched this. Mm. But um, right now, it's not the kind of thing where where I'd be that inspired to watch more of it immediately. Uh, I might get around to it eventually, but it's not anything that's high on my priorities list. Fair. All right. In that case, I will make you answer this one before I do. Zaku, how isekaisi was (sighs) Tweeny Witches? (sighs) Going to give this a stab. Oh? I'm going to give this a seven. Okay. On the like premise of you having in a parallel world given me more hope about the humanity of the main character and coming from another world mattering. Okay. But I'm still still willing to regret this ra- I'm willing to regret this rating. <laughs> if, That's a strong line. <laughs> if it comes out that it might as well have been a person from this world. From right. that world. But I still, right now, I still feel that it's going to be specifically because it's more for kids that this is, has more meaning. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of this right now. Like, especially with the uh, witches, with technology, and with this like strange, not quite explained culture that I imagine we're going to learn more of just through seeing them as opposed to being directly told things. It brings up Dorhidoro to my mind, which is not a kid's show, not something I would say we should, we should show this to children. But yeah, I feel like this show might uh with another let me let me clap back with another point from a parallel world. Oh. I feel like the show might be simultaneously less edgy but more dark than Dorhidoro. Ah. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, this series feels like it is going to be dark, but not that it's going to be edgy. Like, I I think the edge we've gotten already with, you know, with uh, Arzu having a bad home life and with, you know, animals in cages and kids, you know, keeping prisoners and stuff. Like, I think that's kind of where we're going to keep it overall. I feel like there's definitely going to be darker moments than we've seen in this episode. Like, more like oh wow this really sucked i had no idea what we were doing here oh no Mm. the secret implications of our actions finally hits me with the full weight and like 
I can't believe I've done this. Okay. But I feel like it'll be very like much like not over dramatized, or rather, it'll be over dramatized in a like not too confrontational way. Sure. Yeah, I'm giving it an eight in isekaisiness. Like this is everything I like, almost everything I want from an isekai. In that we got one world, we got the other worlds, we see some of both of them, and I feel like it is important that Arisu comes from a world without magic, or a world where she is, you know, she believes in magic, but it is not something that she can factually prove. Because like, and I want to say, I want to say it's kind of ambivalent whether Arisu actually believes in magic or just that's just like you know, a strong mindset of her. Yeah, like she has a really interesting statement near the start of the episode where she says, like, you know, I, I, you know, like the world doesn't have magic in it, but I do believe in magic. It is this like, I I don't know quite what she means by that. Like, does she genuinely 100% think she's a witch who has magic or is that something she is just saying? Yeah, and even with that, you know, humans are complicated. It's it's always possible for it to be kind of both. Yeah, like, I wouldn't say I believe in bad luck, but at the same time, like, when I do a classic bad luck thing, like spilling salt or, like, cracking a mirror, I do freak out inordinately. Like, it's possible to believe in something and also not believe in it simultaneously, as insane as that sounds. Yeah, you know, like, people always try to put a harder boundaries on the on the concept of, like, how human thought actually works. If you look into it, it's all very fucky and mm. stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so, uh-huh. are we wrapped up or am I critically forgetting one of our ratings? Uh, no, we've done all the ratings. I would like to ask everyone to please check out our... Uh, I mean, I don't know how you're listening to this. We have our feed. We have a website at... Oh, no. Where's our website? I forgot what our website was. <laughs> our uh, feed is, in fact, not at ohnowheresourwebsite.com. Ah. <laughs> uh. Our website is uh, anchor.fm slash 100 isekai. That's where you can watch all of our uh, episodes. You can play back in that player. We should also be on most podcast services. You can email us at wewatch100 at gmail.com if you really want to. Uh, I've got my Discord plugged as well, so you could just hop in there if you wanted to. We have a whole channel about the series, or about this podcast, but people mostly kind of talk about different isekai in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, if you go to anchor.fm slash 100 Sky, hey, you can leave us a voicemail. Listen, mm-hmm. listen to a podcast. Listen, oh. hey, hey, Link, listen to a podcast. Oh, no, that's a bad one. I hate it. <laughs> <sighs> well, next time we're going to be checking out World Trigger. This is some of the most... This is the one where we know it might actually not be an isekai. It's really going to challenge us to come up with a good isekaisiness rating. Yeah. Like, I'm not upset about doing this one. I, I feel like it's going to be a good conversation about what exactly is isekai. Yeah, it's going to get all philosophical again. Not yeah. that we're good at avoiding that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to try not do that too often. Like, the majority of the series will be isekai. Just so you know. <laughs> Yeah. Please don't submit Dr. Stone. Our conceptions of conventional isekai might get challenged more and more if we keep watering it down. 
<laughs> oh, we can't do it. We have to be at least broth. I want to be gravy. We have to be at least broth. If we're water, then that's it. I think we have to give up. Oh, these metaphors are becoming too tortured. We need to end this before this becomes a legitimate crime scene. <laughs> Time to end it. Goodbye. We'll see you in another world. Bye.